Welcome to another episode of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by... The one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And Patrick, it was a rough week in the world of professional wrestling as we lost three pro wrestlers, uh, all of different eras and importance. And uh, we'll start with uh, probably the most important to us from our generation, Brian Christopher, or Brian Lawler. Uh, Brian Christopher, as he was known to WWF fans and USWA fans, uh, passed away, rather tragic circumstances, as he was pulled over on Saturday, July 7th, uh, for DUI. Uh, He didn't stop for the police when he was spotted swerving. He drove home, the cops followed him, he was arrested, taken to jail. Uh, Bail was set at $40,000 while he was remaining in custody, and during time in custody... Uh, unfortunately, they found him in his cell where he had hanged himself. And so, Brian Lawler passes away at 46 years old. You and I are, are brothers. We're like family. And uh, we are family in my eyes. Um, there's a few guys in wrestling that I, I actually hold to that status as well. And uh, considered my wrestling family. And Brian was one of them. Uh, I actually enjoyed love love seeing him at shows, joking around with him in the locker room, and being able to talk to him. And you know, on Facebook especially, the uh, it's hard for me to come across something if I find it relevant to send in a private message. You know, like a wrestling meme or something like that, or or a piece of wrestling history that I'll send to you. I ne- I don't do that with just anybody. I, there was a few people that around here that I did it with, and Brian was one of them. And I, I, I as well as so many others tried to, to, uh, tried to make sure that Brian was, uh, was okay. And, uh, it's just, uh, it's a sad situation all the way around. Um, for me, you know, Tennessee wrestling, that's my heritage. You know, Memphis Wrestling, Nick Goulas, um, Smoky Mountain, USWA. That that's just where I come from. That's and so a lot of those guys that went through that, that were a part of that, they're they're close to me. Where other legends, you know, were legends. And I know you, uh, for instance, Jimmy Snooker. I I knew Snooker. I talked to Snooker, but I didn't actually hold him as a close friend. It, 
like the same instances as uh, as Brian Lawler. And uh, Lawler was a great guy. And I spoke with uh, with Jessica, his longtime girlfriend, and uh, you know, I just we talked for a while. And and I hope that he gets, you know, hope she's she's okay. And you know, Brian was a long, I mean, diehard Steelers fan, and uh, just a he he was very proud of of her and very proud of what he had accomplished in his career and he was a very proud individual and 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 had the right to be he was uh, but he was also at the same time very humble and very nice to talk to and to be around and he was one of those guys in the locker rooms that you get there early and you see him and you're like damn dude i'm i gotta stay on my toes or i'm gonna end up you know bullshitting around with brian back here and you know not be ready for time for show or something like that and then after the show you sit in the locker room and talk for three hours and like fuck dude it's 2 a.m we gotta get the hell out of here brian was just one of those guys and there's a few like that and i really i really am going to miss brian uh i was honored to to call him a friend and where people knew he had problems and where it had been publicized he had problems not a lot of people knew to what extent I didn't know to what extent. I knew he had had problems, and I had said, you know, a couple of times here and there, like, hey, Brian, man, why don't you slow down? You know, take it easy, that kind of stuff. And, uh, oh, okay, whatever. But it, it never really sunk in, and uh, I didn't think nothing about it until I got the uh, the text. And it's, it's a very sad, sad, hard loss for... For Tennessee wrestling in general. I mean, when it comes down to it, Brian Lawler was one of the most gifted guys in the locker room in 97. And anybody wants to argue that, I can dispute it 100%. You bring a kid in that nobody knows from overseas, and you're wanting to start a whole division, the light heavyweight division, and you're going to make this kid, Takamichi Noku, the star of that light heavyweight division as you start it. And you know, going into it, you fans over here know nothing about this guy. You gotta, you know, you wanna put this division up. You wanna make it work. You wanna get it off its, its doorsteps. You know, get it off its feet, get it going. And uh, he needed a good heel to be married to. And he needed somebody that could carry that load and to really work it. That was Brian Christopher. Vince saw potential, and he was right. Brian Christopher took that and the matches that him and Taka Michinoku did to build the light heavyweight division and get it off the ground were some of the most magnificent things that I think are very underrated. When you think about it, the most beloved light heavyweight of that time was Taka Michinoku. Especially in the the Attitude Era of WWF. Taka didn't... I mean, like I said, the fans didn't know who he was. But because he was going against somebody that they 100% hated with a fucking passion in Brian Christopher, they could see... You know, they could see past not knowing this kid, but loving the hell out of him. And uh, it just shows the potential that Brian had and the greatness that Brian was. I would just weigh in by saying a lot of in my opinion, wasted uh, potential and a lot of wasted talent 
uh, due to personal demons and some things that weren't in his control. Uh, he started wrestling at the age of 16. Uh, being a wrestler's kid is not an easy thing to do. So he was raised by Lawler's first wife, Kay, and they split up when Brian was seven years old, so he didn't really have a close relationship with Jerry, but wanted to get into the business. Got into the business, was a key part of the USWA through the 90s, held the championship there 25 times, which I guess if your dad is the guy, uh, you get to be the champion quite a bit, <laughs> as the uh, Gagnés can tell you. He had feuds with Doug and Eddie Gilbert, Tommy Rich... Jesse James. His title run came to an end when he left for the WWF when he was defeated by Billy Travis, and of course he came in. The WWF did try a light heavyweight division in the 80s, actually gave up their belt, uh, left it in Japan, so somehow the Ultimo Dragon at one point was the WWF light heavyweight champion and the WCW cruiserweight champion at the same time. Uh, until 1997, they decided to reboot their light heavyweight division. They brought in Brian as part of that. He wrestled as Brian Christopher throughout his career. He didn't want to be known as just Jerry Lawler's son, uh, even though uh, when Lawler was on commentary, uh, JR often alluded to it uh, quite heavily. And uh, for a long time, it took me a long time to actually make the connection that they were related. I thought it was just a joke that they an ongoing joke. Yeah. Like, I just didn't get the joke. Yeah. I did, it took me a long time to make the connection. Unfortunately, for the light heavyweight division, uh, you know, the WWF, and to this day, with the Cruiserweight, the current 205 Live, is just not something this company has ever done well. And right. it's not something that, that worked. It's, it's not something that worked, and it's something that, if it wasn't for his success with uh, Too Much and then Too Cool uh, later on in his WWF career, I would actually say that Brian would have probably fared much better in WCW uh, as a cruiserweight. Uh, more as like, and not because, because he doesn't wrestle a high-flying style, and he doesn't wrestle, and he's not a great technical wrestler like Dean Malenko. He's just sort of a standard... He's a light heavyweight powerhouse. This is what I always considered him to be. Because he could do some some power moves that were out of this world for, for someone of his size. Right, but I think when you're a light heavyweight, that's sort of the worst... You don't look at a light heavyweight to have power. You look at a light heavyweight to be a high flyer. If you wrestle like Randy Orton and you're a light heavyweight, that's probably not good for you. Because yeah. that's not what people want to see from you, right. and especially when you're, and when you're in the WWF and everyone else is bigger than you, you're just kind of stuck. Yeah. And unfortunately, it wasn't until he got hooked up with, uh, of course, Scotty Too Hotty, or uh, Scott Taylor, another floundering guy. It was uh, they became too much. But then it all took off, but when they got rebranded as Too Cool and added Rikishi and became the uh, the Pretty Fly for a White Guy tag team group and yeah. the dancing and everything. and It took he, off, man. Oh, he was super over. They were hot, and there wasn't a fan that wasn't on their feet whenever the lights went down. They started their pros and were getting ready to, to strut it out. And so, I mean, we watched a Royal Rumble that came to a halt so they could do their dance spot, and yeah. the crowd enjoyed it. The crowd loved did, it every you know, second of didn't it. Didn't boo. No, they didn't. It wasn't silence. So, you, it just, and I love 
you know, a lot of people, King of the Ring 98, remember it for Foley. But when we covered it, I, I told you this. And I loved that match with, with uh, Too Much. With King as the guest comment or the guest referee against Al Snow and Head, and then you know Christopher grabs the grabs. Oh, the, the Head and Shoulders <laughs> match. The Head and no. Shoulders, the Head and Shoulders uh, shampoo, and and you know puts it and pins Head for for one two three because the Head had shoulders. Just the comedic value of that is, and you know that's something Brian thought of, and it, because he had he was that way even in the ring. Through his, throughout his whole career, it was. I find it every time I think about it, it makes me laugh. It was one of the most comedic things you could see in wrestling, but yet it was an entertaining match. And so, uh, he he stood out. I just don't think that he was given a fair chance. Would you say that outside of the tag team? I just don't. There wasn't anything. Because I loved his matches with Taka. Taka Mishinoku is one of the most gifted performers of our generation. I mean, Taka Mishinoku could have a match with Brooklyn Brawler and make it look amazing. And yeah, it takes two to tango or whatever, but you know, that match we watched last week with Rick Rude and Ultimate Warrior, I mean, there was one guy doing the bulk of the work. I think Brian was talented, but... Like I said, I think he would have fared better in WCW as some sort of like, um, as like a, uh, basically a version of like Disco Inferno, Disco Inferno type heel cruiserweight, but not, you know, with that gimmick. But yeah, like, Alex Wright. Yeah, that's true. But Alex Wright was really tall, too. Alex yeah. Wright was almost, Alex Wright was t- almost, I think he is as tall as, um, Triple H. And had he put on Matt, like he had potential, he was really green. But um, I think that there would have been a spot for him, especially when you had you had a real lack of of great cruiserweight heels. Because outside of Jericho, can you name? A, I mean, an Eddie, I guess. I mean, who were the bad guys in the cruiserweight division? No, that was it. Because it was usually just, it was just luchas. You know, luchadors that aren't talking. Dean Malenko, who's a babyface. Well, that's, and then, that's the thing is with Brian, he could talk. Well, he could have been a babyface. I mean... Brian could talk, and his laugh was so screeching and annoying, it made you want to knock the shit out of him. Well, yeah, so... I, so the fans, it, it just got the fans fired up, and so... Uh, but then he would have never gotten paired with Scott Taylor, and the tag... The tag thing is what worked best for him. They held tag titles. They did. And they were... I mean, they get lost in the shuffle when... You know... They get lost in the shuffle when you think about... Oh, Edge and Christian and the Hardys and the Dudleys... And all those great tag teams at the time. But they were right there. You they know, were. They, they were in the mix. That's People seem to only think that there are three tag teams in that era. But they're... The but, Outlaws... Yeah, the New Age Outlaws as well, people think of. But yeah, Too Cool uh, was... They they, they were fine. Yeah. I mean, they... They held their own, and I mean... Well, and also... They had WrestleMania moments like crazy. You well... Know, I mean, think back to... They were uh, twisted in with the whole... Um, the whole thing with um, P. 
Pete Rose trying to get a cane. One, you know, at WrestleMania 2000, they were twisted in with uh, just. I mean, they had great moments all the way around. Well, and like I was praising Dusty Rhodes for last week, doing the most with the least. It's not like Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor aren't going to go down as like on any top ten list as you know great in-ring performers, but they get the most out of what they can do. And if that means doing the worm, if that means putting goggles on and doing a Tennessee jam, they got the most for the least. And that's a skill that's almost as impressive as, you know, going out there and having a five-star classic. That's the thing is, you know, I I love to see a five-star classic, don't get me wrong. But at the same point in time is, man, you have to have guys... If you can have that match where... You go 13 minutes and you only touch like six times, but it's comedic value and the cr- the crowd's into it, and it's you got to have that. That's sometimes that's longevity to make your career last longer. Or if you're working hurt, that's how you work hurt, and right. and that's not taught anymore. That's not shown, especially on the indie circuit. Is well, or when they do try it, it's done so badly. Yeah, that. So, I mean, to to be a full circle wrestler, you have to learn that side of it as well. And it's not looked at. And and I dare say that, well, would you think it's a fair assumption to say that around this time with Brian Christopher and Scott Taylor and all that, that was kind of the last of the comedic wrestlers that could do that? That if they had to work hard or something like that, they could put on a a five star match, but in a com in a comment in in a comedic way, and get the most out of the least. Because I haven't seen that. I didn't see it in the late later two thousands. I didn't see it in well, in the teens here at all. I think they put on better matches. They put on better comedy matches than recent examples. Like I would rather watch a two cool match any day over a uh, Santino Morella match. I would rather watch a two cool match over a Eugene match any day of the week. Okay, well Eugene, I would actually put in that in that <laughs> concept because I I really enjoyed that gimmick and that that concept. But but no, I get what you mean about the Centino Morella, absolutely. Or uh, one of the greatest mistakes the company ever made though was trying to push Rikishi as a heel and breaking up that group. Um, oh yeah, they'd have been a lot. They'd have been hotter if they just. Well, they could have gotten a few more years out of it. I don't know if it's a gimmick that you can keep going. It's a, I mean, they brought them back a few years ago for an NXT thing, so it's it's something that they you brought can... them back for a Raw one time, did they not? In like yeah, yeah, a Raw seven, two thousand eight or something. Yeah, so it's something you can go back to. I don't know that you're gonna be able to ride it forever. You know, I don't no. think it's 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 not a it's not a gimmick that ages well, but it's a great one that you can bring up every once in a while and do, but. I still think that when they decided to take Rikishi and be, oh, he's our monster heel now or whatever, and he had already done the comedy stuff. I just, it, it never works to me when you take a, a guy so connected to comedy and then try to make him serious, to make him a killer, you know? Yeah. And I thought it was a huge mistake. And. It would have extended Rikishi's career, honestly, to have stayed in that group because then he wouldn't have had to put on singles matches. Uh, you wouldn't. Have, I mean, he was getting up there in age at that time, and you know, was limited. And he's coming off of what the the head shrinkers, and then 
Oh, gosh. I mean, this guy had he been wrestling everything. for 20-something years by that point. He did the Head Shrinkers. He did uh, Simone SWAT team. The Simone SWAT team. He did... Uh, Keeping it real Fatu or whatever yeah. from the oh, yeah. new gen era. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, and he had done a lot. And, yeah, he'd been... His, he had been through a lot. And so... Uh, I think it would have extended his career a right. little bit longer to have kept him in that group. I know that they were, there were other people that they could have. I knew. I guess they were looking. They were looking for that next monster heel. But I just Rikishi wasn't it. And breaking up that group. I mean, that was it for Brian Christopher. Honestly, I mean, uh, an injury took out Scott Taylor. Uh, he had neck surgery in early 2001, so Brian Christopher was uh, a single star again. And then while on the road in May 2001, Christopher tried entering Canada for an episode of Raw. And he got caught with drugs and was fired by the company. And that was the end of Brian Christopher. His main run in the WWF ended in May 2001. He went to work for TNA when they launched in June 2002. Beat Ron Killings on their debut pay-per-view in Huntsville, Alabama. He appeared for them uh, a lot during their first year of operations. Came back to the WWE in 2004, but only lasted one month. Was never pushed, and uh, was released once again. When Jerry Lawler was shooting Michael Cole heading into our WrestleMania, Patrick, WrestleMania 27, Brian Christopher was brought in as a guest of Cole and cut a promo on his father to build up the match. Wonderful. Tasteful writing, guys. Too Cool was brought back for an edition of Old School Raw in January 2014, defeating the modern-day version, three-man band, of Too Cool. They also had a cameo on NXT in uh, February of that year, and they lost to The Ascension, who at that time was a serious tag team and not a joke now. And uh, that was his last television uh, you know, major appearance, was that NXT uh, appearance in 2014. But he had multiple run-ins uh, throughout his life. He was arrested in February 2009 for disorderly conduct. June 26, 2009, public intox. On July 13, 2009, refused to go to rehab, which was court-ordered rehab. So he went to jail again. And then this latest incident here uh, turned out to be the final one. And uh, it's just a sad, sad story. A guy that... You know, you. I thought the days. Well, and Brian Lawler passed away. He was found in his jail cell uh, July 29th, uh, 2018. The TBI is launching an investigation just to make sure no foul play was involved, but. Well, I mean, how, how, did, how did he get the equipment to be able to do this? Is well, this you is can. Uh, you Usually, bed sheets and stuff, you know, if. That's usually the method. Like, Aaron Hernandez, uh, for instance, put, like, soap all over his floor and then, like, used his bed sheet and then that way he couldn't even... couldn't even back out. Like, there was no turning back or whatever. So that's usually the method that they... I mean, and they can't just not give him bed sheets, you know? I mean... <laughs> what... I mean, how... And if you're not... If you're not... If they don't suspect you, because I actually had a a friend who went to jail a few months ago. He had a ner- he had a mental breakdown, and he was actually he tried to kill himself at home 
he was like throwing shit in his yard and like losing his mind and then he went inside and tried to kill himself and so he came and arrested him and but then he was placed on suicide watch and they actually put a vest on you where you don't have access to it's almost it's 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 not like a straight jacket but it's similar to that and also when you're under suicide watch the cops will check in on you more but i guess they were you know nobody suspected that that Brian was feeling that way. I mean, he was in jail. He was in jail from a DUI. I mean, it wasn't like he was in jail from attempting suicide or any, you know, there's no, there was no warning signs given to the police officers at least, or the people at the corrections facility that would say, check, check on this guy every five minutes because who knows, you know, or whatever. So I tweeted this out though. I I just thought by 2018, you know, we should be past the point where wrestlers are dying in their forties. I mean, it's just ridiculous. I mean, there's just no need for it. You know, I mean, it's, it's insane to me, you know, that this is still, still happening. Yeah. And, uh, well, uh, for those of you who do want to see the funeral service, uh, you want to? Yeah, I'll post I'll post place? it on the Facebook. Okay, thing. I'll repost it. It is televised. It's a. It was very. It nice. was live streamed by the Memphis television station. Yes, for uh, those of you who who weren't able to get there and uh, see it, it, it's it's a very uh, it's a very beautiful service. I think it was done very well. Um, I was kind of disappointed that the WWE did not produce a tribute video for him. They did have a memorial card for him in front of Raw, but no video. I mean, I don't know. It just seemed. And but they did do one. They didn't do one for Nikolai Volkov either, on the well, same episode. So I think I think the the tiny little. Okay, I'm gonna piss some people off here because this is just how I am. The tiny little thing that Triple H put out, uh, like tweet or whatever, for for Brian saying, "Oh well, he was such a great talent. You know, sorry, you know, we lost him so soon." I, I'm really tired of that. I'm tired of the. I'm tired of the the general. We have to acknowledge it, but we're just going to put this generalized statement out there for every single person who died and throw their name in it and be done with it. Okay, this was a guy you were in the locker room with. This is a guy you spent time with, especially during the Attitude Era. Well, and he's very familiar with his father too. Right. I mean, like so a little bit more, because to me it just seemed tasteless. It seemed like you really didn't give a shit, and it was a waste of your fucking time just to have to type it out. It really. It why really, even? Why even issue it? it if really, it's going to be a generic. Yeah, it thing. really. It actually got under my skin, and I. I it could be because I'm coming at this from a personal side, but it just really got under my skin and pissed me off. Yeah. Um, and, and so, I don't know, um, I just wish, like, you know, there was a little bit more of a heartfelt feeling in, in it, because it came off like he just didn't give a shit. And like you said, the WWE didn't even do a video or anything like that. I think that was kind of pointless and ridiculous for them because it just shows that they didn't really give two shits. Yeah. I would love to say that they did. They did. Well, no, I mean, it goes, well, it goes, I repeat it time after time on here. Being a wrestler comes with no health benefits, no retirement benefits, no 401k no 
Um, the only thing they do, they'll send you to rehab if you come and ask them for it, but they're not going to come check on you. And so it's sad that, you know, Brian didn't take advantage of the rehab part because maybe that would have helped. But until these guys, until these guys get health benefits and are able to treat themselves medically for problems, for injuries, I mean, doing that leg drop off the top, I bet his hips were crushing him. Yeah. I bet the pain of his knees... His lower back had to hurt like hell all the time. Wrestler, Yeah, I mean, wrestlers' bodies are just broken over time, and they're... If you don't have if you don't have money like McFoley to go get a hip replacement, or if you don't have whatever, you know, resources to go do that, if you're a Brian Lawler who has limited resources, what do you do? Well you go get painkillers. Well when the, those start wearing off, what do you do? You take more. Then you get muscle relaxers. Well then you take antidepressants because you're sad, because now you can't work, because your body's broken down. And it all stems from not being able to get health treatment to be treated while, while you're there's no there's no long-term help for these people and i think that contributes you know i'm not making excuses for you know everybody you know brian lawler put whatever he put into his own body but some blame does lie with this company and with wrestling in general and the way we do as the way they're treated as independent contractors. And until that changes, unfortunately, I, like I said, I hope that the days of wrestlers dying in their 40s are behind us, but I'm not sure. I'm really not sure, because we just have to change, you know, you have to take care of yourself, and you have to care for your employees. And they're employees. You know, the independent contractor thing... I know, oh, it'd break the business, it costs this much, it costs that much. Well, okay, but the blood's on your hands. And that that's really all there is to it. Yeah. So, another sad loss, and uh, terrible, terrible that a guy, um, you know, and depression is real, and depression is uh, something that will eat away at you, and it's sad that, uh, you know, Brian Lawler couldn't conquer his demons. And unfortunately, it's a, something we've seen many, many times before. And hopefully we never see it again, but we probably will. So I'll share the uh, funeral video on our Facebook page, your Retro Wrestling Facebook page. But yeah, Brian Lawler, uh, really nice guy, though, from everything I've ever heard about him. Uh, always never any heat, backstage heat, kept to himself, did his job. Yeah. You know, just uh, like I said, he was one of the boys that you just you go hang out in the corner with, and you know, laugh and joke and cut up with until time to go out and do your stuff, and then come back and do it some more. And he was just a nice guy all the way around, and um, it, it's a sad loss for me personally. And so, uh, but I can't, you know. I just wish there was more that was being done. It's how many, it's like you said, how much more has to happen before eyes get opened up and, you know, people start saying, hey, we need to, we need to help these guys. 
you can't get into somebody's head, you know. If they don't ask for help, you have to look for warning signs. You know, you know, it, it's just a tough, it's a tough thing. It's a tough thing. Yeah. Uh, the wrestling world also lost Nikolai Volkov, who passed away at the age of 70. Uh, I won't go into a long bio about Nikolai. In fact, they did make a video for Nikolai Volkov, which is actually, I think they just kind of reworked his Hall of Fame video from a few years back and added a few parts to it and put it out on their YouTube page. So I'll just basically splice that in here. This week, WWE celebrates the life and career of Joseph Perusevic, better known to the WWE Universe as Nikolai Volkov. As a young man, Joseph would leave the former Republic of Yugoslavia with no money or knowledge of the English language to head to the West in search of freedom. Eventually, Joseph would make his way to Calgary, where he would meet his mentor, the legendary trainer Stu Hart. Joseph would emerge in WWE as the fiery Russian Nikolai Volkov and quickly skyrocket to the top, breaking box office records at Madison Square Garden in a rivalry with the living legend Bruno Sammartino and battling the WWE's living embodiment of Americana, Hulk Hogan, at the height of Hulkamania. Volkov would go on to find his greatest success in the tag team ranks, teaming with the Iron Sheik. Managed by classy Freddie Blassie, the dastardly duo would shock the world as they captured the tag team championships at WrestleMania 1 from the U.S. Express and revel in ridiculing their American adversaries with Volkov's signature performance of the Soviet National Anthem. After nearly 20 years of being jeered as a reviled villain, Volkov was finally cheered when he teamed up with the patriotic hacksaw Jim Duggan, embracing his true love of America. In the end, the WWE Universe embraced Nikolai right back, allowing him to retire as a hero, joining the WWE Hall of Fame in 2005. After a career entertaining millions both on screen and behind the scenes, Nikolai Volkov passed away this past weekend at the age of 70. We at WWE wish to send our deepest sympathies to his family, friends, and loved ones. Nikolai will forever be remembered as one of the most enduring personalities in WWE history. And you can hear the story of Nikolai Volkov, uh, one of the many uh, Soviet Union characters of the 80s that, oh, yeah. that, that we love so dearly. <laughs> that, yeah. The foreign heel, the yeah. evil foreigner. Uh, and Bruno Sammartino's uh, main jobber, basically. I, I hate to call Nikolai a jobber, because he's uh, certainly a bigger star than that, but he was basically brought in to lose to Bruno, the American hero, so people could go to Madison Square Garden every night and see Rocky IV in real life and see, uh, you know, the USA defeat the Soviet Union on a regular basis. He would He would come to the ring, he would sing the Soviet National Anthem, and uh, he was actually from Croatia. So, and it was prior to Croatia splitting from Yugoslavia, so an actual part of the Soviet Union. He was not 
uh, you know, Crusher Krusev, you know, he was not a... He, he, was, he was a real, true blue Soviet. Yes, he was, and uh, but was grateful to be an American, uh, as he would later pair up with uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, of course, and uh, sing the American National Anthem, but his greatest success came uh, in the first WrestleMania, when he beat the U.S. Express with the help of the Iron Sheik won the tag team titles. So there you go. And uh, that was uh, Nikolai Volkov. Also helped get Hogan over early on and would make sporadic appearances uh, even up until uh, WrestleMania X7 uh, showed up there for the uh, gimmick Battle Royal, inducted into the Hall of Fame in April of 2005, and made a few appearances on uh, Throwback Raws. So uh, married for 35 years, had two daughters, and a... uh, very successful career, so uh, sad loss for the wrestling world. And finally, we also had Frederick Seawright, a.k.a. Brickhouse Brown, lost his battle of cancer. So we just had Matt Capitelli lose a battle of cancer a few weeks ago. Now we have Brickhouse Brown. Started his wrestling career in 1982. Uh, Terry Funk was the guy that helped train him, get him noticed. Spent a lot of time in Memphis. Also spent some time in world class and was used was used in the WWF a little bit as a jobber and was the recipient of the first Courage Award uh, ever presented by the Cauliflower Alley Club. So there you go. He accepted in person, gave an emotional speech. I'll include a clip of the speech here. And so there you go, Brickhouse Brown, uh, also passing away, sadly. Brickhouse Brown... Brickhouse Brown was only 57 years old. Wow, that's crazy. Started his career in 1982, 35 years ago. Started wrestling at 22, wow. So yeah, Brickhouse Brown passes away. So that's our In Memoriam segment. Uh, Time to move on to other news and happenings from the world of pro wrestling. The G1 is currently underway. New Japan getting some great matches. Haven't seen any of them, so I can't talk about them. Don't want to spoil any of them for you if you haven't seen them, but I do hear that one Kenny Omega match uh, is uh, getting rave reviews, so um, you might want to go check out New Japan World for that. On our last episode, we speculated what Stephanie McMahon would do. What what news would she? How would she change the world, Patrick? She. Well, you thought it. She was pregnant with Ted Turner's baby. So. Uh, well, yeah, I was. Uh, sadly. Sadly, I was proven wrong, because if that had been the the announcement, I would have been super excited. I'm, I was still excited for what she announced, but I think it would have been even more awesome. Yeah. Had, uh... There, w- there would have been some true heat there. Yeah. An amazing headline grab. If they really loved publicity, they'd, they'd get a lot there. So, Stephanie, again... I, I hate it when they do this, by the way. Not, not make announcements... That, that's fine. But I hate it when they bring out the entire roster to stand around and pal around. Heels and faces. Just and standing then, around. Then the way they went about it was stupid. Because then they said all the women step forward. <laughs> Why don't you just bring the women out? Oh, did they bring the men out too? Yeah. Oh, okay. I see. Then they were like, the men stand behind you to support you. So we all stand behind you. It's a metaphor. Well, it made uh, Triple H tear up. He was so proud that his his wife created women. 
and announced that... They- you know, okay, first of all, hang on. They want to pull this shit. But you know who started that whole women's... Uh, oh, God, it, it, you could go back decades. Well, not just that, but what really got it noticed was Mick Foley, when he finally got back into WWE's ear and was constantly posting on his Facebook and Twitter about let the women have a chance. Give like, divas a chance. Yeah. yeah. And, and so... Well, you could also say that, you know, it's a, it might not be directly related, but the Netflix series Glow just happens to be very, very popular too yeah and you also have just you know the me too movement women are very prominent in the news so would this have happened without all those other factors i don't know yes but this isn't yes no maybe this isn't the first women's only pay-per-view wrestling event no ring of honor's been doing it for years tna did it for years well there's been whole women promotions I mean, Glow, Wow, whatever, you know, they were called. Yeah. But in WWE, you know, they write the history books. So, this is the first ever, of course. Uh, It's WWE Evolution. Boy, they love that damn name, don't they? They better reuse that Motorhead song, or I'm going to be a little pissed off. (laughs) They they need to get their money's worth out of it. They love that damn name. It's going to happen October 28th, 2018. So, unfortunately, this is going to be tied to Susan G. Komen Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Oh, God. Yes. So Everything's going to be pink. Everything is pink, Patrick. The ring will be pink. The ropes will be pink. Susan G. Komen does some good things for breast cancer research, but they do a lot of bad things, too. Like, they actually try to, like, copyright the color pink, like... If you try to use pink and raise money for breast cancer, they'll come after you. They'll send you a cease and desist. Like, they're assholes. But you're raising money to help them. They'll do it if you're doing it to raise money for breast cancer for another research. Like, locally, we have the Mary Ellen Loker Breast Center. Right. Okay, that's not affiliated with Susan G. Cohen. So if I went out today and I said, I want to start a lemonade stand, paint it pink, but the money's going here and not to Susan G. Komen, they'll send me a cease and desist letter and say, send us the fucking money. So they're a bit of dicks. So they go hand in hand with the WWE. But it's... So we're going to have all that pink shit in October, which I hate, but we're going to have a NXT title match for the women. We're going to have a Raw match for the women, a SmackDown match for the women, and the finals of the Mae Young Classic all on one show. So congratulations. So we're gonna have four matches. So far. I'm sure there I'm you know, it's not it's not out of the realm of possibility that I think they still could do a tag team Women's tag team? Women's tag titles or something. Yeah. Or or a mid card belt. And just other other women's matches they'll do. They'll fill it up. Um they'll do this in October. And then you know what they'll do? They'll turn around and go to Saudi Arabia a little bit later in the year where women can't go. So, just more hypocrisy from this stupid company and Stephanie McMahon and her PR and just that gross, gross, grossness that I just, ugh. Just, I'm proud, I'm, I'm very happy for the female competitors. I hate that on Raw, then after this was announced, they all have to go, ah! And they hug each other, and they're jumping up and down. And some of that excitement is probably real, but 
I'd say the majority of it's not. Um, I'm happy for them. I think it's great. More power to them. I think they should have their own show on the network. You've got this network. It costs you no money. The ring's already there. Tape a fucking show every week. So I'm I'm very happy for them, but as far as the WWE PR machine, it just makes me sick. And I, it's just gross, and it's just something I don't I don't care for. So do you think now we're going to see a female referee on the roster, the main They're, roster? The, I they know better there move, is one. They better move her up. They need to move her up. Why wasn't she refing the first Hell in a Cell female match? I agree because we we covered this and and she's she's a friend of mine and on Facebook and when I when I found out about it I reached out to her and congratulated her. It was a very honorable thing that uh, of the groundwork that she's paving as well for for that end of it. Why don't we have a female commentator? Why do all ring announcers have to be female nowadays? I, mean, I think the SmackDown one is a man now. Is it? Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't watched SmackDown in years. I just don't know. The announcers, you know, they're just, they don't stand out. A female uh, commentator, though, I, I do like the sound of that. Renee would be great, yeah. Lita sucked at it, though, during the Mae Young Classic. I'm sorry. Lita is not good. But I think that's kind of harsh to say about Amy. I think it was Beth Phoenix. Or she called... She did good. Beth Phoenix is good. Lita bad. Um... Damn. And Renee would be really good. So, uh, kind of knocking on Amy here, aren't you? She sucks, dude. She sucks, and I think she's overrated in the ring as well. Really? Yes, she's dangerous. There's, I'm surprised she didn't break her neck more often. Really? Yes, she was sloppy. Now, it's sort of like, but it's sort of like. Sabu, you know, I I love Sabu in the ring, but he is sloppy. He is dangerous. He will probably get himself killed in the ring, and or get himself severely injured. Well, he's already done that. Well, yeah, and she's the same way. Yeah, she's exciting to watch. Yeah, I'd I'd stand up. I'd mark out for a match. You know, back in her prime. Yeah. Do I? Does that make her a good wrestler? Would I say Sabu is a good wrestler? No, they're, they're stunt people, is what they are. They're... What's wrestling? No, I think there's a nowadays, difference. Nowadays, that's wrestling. Mm, I think it's more I think it's more wrestling now. No, I think it's less stuntman now and than it was. And as much shit as you see the women try nowadays, man, Lita would have been scared to do half the shit that the women's doing nowadays. Yeah, but they're not doing reckless things. They're not... Oh, man. I'm sorry, I just don't think that there is reckless. She's just reckless. That's my big complaint with Lita. Well, I mean, and Sabu. They're the same. They're Sabu and Lita are the same Well, wrestler. Lita got most of her learning and her young her young years through ECW, so. She did, yes. Yeah, she debuted in ECW. The SummerSlam main event, Patrick, has been announced. It's Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar. Once again, how excited are you on a scale of 1 to 10? I think that's what the crowd's gonna do in Brooklyn as well, so... Nobody gives a shit about seeing this over and over again. And I love how people on on social media and all these, like, uh, Sports Illustrated and stuff are putting out comments saying, Oh, Roman Reigns is winning the WWE Universe over. No, he's not. Well, they did chant for him Monday night. 
They did manipulate this crowd to chant for did Roman they, Reigns. Did they pipe it in? Did they it, pipe it in? That's the key. Well, no, it's, it seemed organic because uh, Paul Heyman was in danger. Uh, he was about to get... Apparently, so they came up with some convoluted thing that Paul Heyman not only works for Brock Lesnar, but the WWE as well. So Brock was backstage at Raw. And Kurt Angle said, Brock has to come out here. And Brock said, no, I'd rather sit back here and read hunting magazines. <laughs> and uh, so Paul comes out there, and Paul walks walks up to Angle and says, uh, no, he, he won't be coming out here. So Kurt says, well, you've left me no option. I, I'm going to have to fire you if Brock doesn't come out here. And um, Paul gets on his hands and knees and starts to beg and right before Kurt Angle can fire him, out comes Brock Lesnar. And Brock Lesnar runs out there, but ends up grabbing Paul by the throat. And the crowd chanted, we want Roman, we want Roman. I, seriously, like... Really? I don't think he ran out there, though. I didn't finish the episode. So, I'm just... I'll include the clip. That, that, that's the easiest way to do it. Brock Lesnar... is not coming out here tonight. All right, enough, enough. Listen to me. Let me explain to you what a real champion does. He shows up. He defends his title at all costs. He goes the extra mile for the WWE Universe. He does things for charities and communities. Brock Lesnar does none of that! Brock Lesnar has to be the worst universal champion of all time! respect you. I think the world of you, Kurt Angle. As a matter of fact, I, I'd like to have a better working relationship with you. Your contract is now terminated. You're done, Heyman. You're finished. Get the hell off me. Get off me. Please don't me. That's embarrassing. I kind of feel bad for Heyman. Wait a minute. The Beast is here! Brock Lesnar! I thought Paul Heyman said, and Paul Brock Lesnar coming out here. is relieved. Do you got a problem with me? You got a problem with me. Oh, oh no! God. Oh my God! Lesnar with an F5 to our general manager! Kurt Angle didn't even do anything! 
And Constable Corbin wisely stepping out of harm's way. I don't even think the Constable's safe from the Universal Champion. Brock Lesnar has been in a mood all night. I guess that was a rhetorical question. this together, aren't they? Oh, oh no! What are you doing? What are you doing? No! You're hurting me! You're hurting me! Look at him! You're hurting me! See that? Yes! I can't breathe! Brock, I can't breathe! Brock, I can't breathe! Brock, I can't breathe! I can't breathe! But uh, they did, they did manage to get a Roman chant going. So congrats, guys. But guess what? Huh. SummerSlam's in Brooklyn, and uh, that's not there. <laughs> Brooklyn crowd is not going to be for it. No, the real main event of that show should be Samoa Joe and AJ Styles, because that's what the WWE title is. Uh, that's that. That's the SmackDown main event. Oh, really? And that's and that's. So they've moved past Nakamura. Yeah, he's been feuding with Hardy. Well, actually, Hardy's now feuding with Orton. Uh, like I said, I hadn't watched SmackDown in months. Nakamura has the U.S. belt, but I'm not sure who he's actually in a program with at the moment. I don't think they know who he's in a program with at the moment. But they've moved Orton on to Hardy, and they've moved AJ on to Samoa Joe. So AJ and Samoa Joe, that'll be good. It it will be a good match. Uh, now apparently they may have met in the past. Congratulations to the new mayor of Knox County, Glenn Jacobs, by the way. Oh yes, Kane is going to burn the entire county of despite Knoxville, his, despite his very uh, shady past of you know electrocuting Shane McMahon's testicles, <laughs> uh, burning down the Undertaker's home, or no? Did Undertaker start the? F- I forgot. Uh, he killed his girlfriend Undertaker on the way. Start, Undertaker started the fire. That's why Kane is all, all right. marked up. Which he looks fine in his election pictures, though. So. Well, remember, it, the the scars were psychological, it turned out. Oh, okay. All right. And he, uh, of course... That's when he unmasked and was like rubbing his head and all crazy and stuff. He, of course, uh, killed his girlfriend on prom night on the way home from the prom, Katie Vick. So oh, God, don't get us started on still, that. He still... Despite all these things, Patrick, all the crazy storylines, he even had to fight off a version of himself one time. You know who played that? Yes, Luke Gallows. Luke Gallows did. Festus. Uh, Yeah, so he even had to defeat his twin, or his doppelganger. So we don't even know if this is the real Glenn Jacobs. It could be. Who knows what got elected in Knox County, but... He is the mayor. I wonder if he will keep uh, wrestling part-time because, you know... See, you wonder that. I wonder if when he does election speeches, if he's going to wear his mask. 
He did come out to his entrance theme. No shit, really? Yeah, well, he came out to uh, that old Finger Eleven uh, Slow Chemical. He came out to that yeah. when he won. And then he made some joke about a cage match, which was not funny, but uh, it just bombed. He's just not a good joke teller. But uh, Well, I, I'm friends with him on Facebook, and I reached out and uh, congratulated him for winning. I was happy to see that he actually was uh, elected. I was I was nervous there for a minute or two. Cause it was, it seemed like his well, he last, only his last turn, couple of turnouts didn't look well, too well. His he only won the primary by like twenty three votes. Yeah, it, so, it was close, close. But the main election was a landslide because Knox County very heavily Republican, so they were just going to pick whoever the nominee was, and it was Glenn Jacobs. So congrats, uh, Mister Kane, Corporate Kane. So now, whenever you go to Knoxville or Go through it to go to Sevierville, and you better behave. You better, man. He will listen. He has no problem setting you aflame. He's into very. He'll like. He'll shock your testicles. He will. He can make fire appear out of nowhere. No, in all seriousness, in all seriousness, when was the last mayor you saw that was over seven foot tall? <laughs> He's a very tall man. He's a very tall man. <laughs> well, also, I mean. He was an insurance salesman on the side, too. Like, I mean... He did. He's just a... It's very strange to see... He is a... He is a uh, a certified genius. He's a very brilliant man. He is smart. He did very well on that episode of uh, Weakest Link, where he did play in his went mask. To, went to college. Did go to college. Was born in Spain, though, so I don't think he's eligible for the presidency, so... No, no Kane for president anytime soon. Dang. But I do wonder if he'll uh, make... Sorry, some... The Rock's going to run for president. So. I do wonder if he'll appear... Well, I mean, the next uh, next Booker T's got his campaign coming up for Houston yeah. uh, next year, I think. So, we've got a lot of wrestling mayors out there. Yeah. We can have the battle of the wrestling mayors. Uh, for... There you go. Who state's going to win? And I'll have to put something on the line. For our review this week, we took a fan suggestion, and we went to ECW, because he wanted some ECW reviews, as we have only done, like, a couple in the past. December to Dismember, not really counting it, is a uh, shining example. Yeah. And then we did some other, I think we did one other one. So we won't, out of all... We're done living dangerously. Yeah, the first living dangerously... That's available on the network. I like, think Living Dangerously. No. It was a. We did the one with uh with Dusty. Public Enemy was. Well, Dusty. Okay, I'm just for, forget it. We've we've only done a handful out of our correct. Uh, out of nearly ninety episodes, we've only done a handful of ECW. So we said, "What the hell? Let's go back to Hardcore Heaven, 1997." Which this was the. WWF Invasion. This is one of my favorite ECW pay-per-views. Oh, God. By the way, just so we're all clear. I knew you would mark out for it. Um, This is when WWF let ECW invade Raw. That's right. They let ECW guys show up on Raw and have some matches. Chris Candido wrestled Brian Christopher on an episode of Raw. Uh, they were sitting in the stands. Uh, Jerry Lawler was cutting promos. Extremely crappy wrestling. He was... It was weird. Because this is something that the WWF did not like to do. 
For some reason, Vince has a soft spot in his heart for Eastern Championship Wrestling. He and saw, at the time, he saw potential for a uh, another Florida Championship Wrestling or Ohio Valley. He wanted to use that as a developmental right. thing. Basically. And put him on the payroll on that aspect of it. And there are rumors that at one point in time, it turned into that and nobody's just aware of that. Well, it's true, yeah. This is something that we'll, we'll never know for sure. Because, exactly. Because there was money given to there Paul was. to keep ECW going well, by WWE. Paul Heyman was, as owner and operator of ECW, on WWS payroll. Yeah, well, he claims that the majority of that was for the rights when Taz was... Uh, given to WWF, he had some agreement with uh, a record company and that he needed to pay... The WWF needed to pay him the $1,000 he was losing by Taz leaving because he would no longer have that deal with the record company. I think it goes a lot deeper than that. And towards the end, they did invest a lot of money into ECW so that they could get the tape library because they knew it was, it was about to go bankrupt, and so they gave them a bunch of money, but that was so they could be listed as a creditor and have basically the first ride at buying the stuff, the tape library, which is what they wanted, and, the, and the, the rights to the name and everything else. I mean, hell, they relaunched the brand, so... Yeah. Um, yeah, so... It was very strange, though, in 1997. So, you know, over in WCW, we got the NWO invading, uh, you know, WCW. So they're in they're in the midst of their war. And all of a sudden, you have this very brief blip of a ECW invasion. An actual invasion. A real-life invasion. Well, it was a real-life sort of... ECW. They weren't acknowledged at first. They would be in the crowd. Right. And then sometimes... King or uh, JR or somebody would be like, oh, and that's... Or Vince would be like, I think those are people from ECW. And that's just... And just mention it in passing. Yeah. But then you'd have, yeah, Chris Candido, who, you know, had just been in the company a year or two before. All of a sudden, he's in the ring wrestling a, a WWF guy. Or, you know, Rob Van Dam is in the ring wrestling in a WWF ring. Sabu climbs up on top of the, the RO... Are the R A W yeah. block letters and flies off and it was very odd. It was. Yeah. It was Taz is in the ring. They even mention, I think, on Raw, like, "Hey, watch Hardcore Heaven." I mean, they don't heavily promote it, but they do mention. They it. do promote it, and Vince then turns around and sent King, yes, to do the same to do course. the same for uh, their pay per view coming up. Ground Zero. Ground Zero, which yeah. did jack shit for <laughs> writings, I'm sure. Well, at this time, the WWF was getting their asses kicked by WCW because the NWO was the hottest thing going. But things were starting to turn around for they the were. WWF because you had the uh, Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels feud that was heating up. I mean, SummerSlam, uh, one of the... You mentioned it. One of the most infamous SummerSlam moments. Undertaker. Who did? Who, whose side is he on? You know. Yeah. Or Sean. Sean. Did he mean to hit the? Whose side is he on? Yeah. Um, which led to bad blood and the the Hell in a Cell and Survivor Series. So things were about to be kicked into high gear yeah. in WWF. So this is really 
this is almost, you could kind of say this is kind of the closing of the new gen era, basically. I mean, you could, you could. I would. I absolutely would. That's a very safe assumption because I consider that SummerSlam to be the turning point. That SummerSlam being uh, the one with Brett and Taker and then Sean being the guest referee. I consider that being the turning point from the new gen era to the Attitude era, but. They're getting their ass kicked every Monday by Nitro. Which, by the way, King did actually real life, King did not want to do this. Because he couldn't see why in the world are we promoting another company on our precious time, our airtime, on our, when we should be promoting our shows, we're promoting another company, another organization. He really had a lot of problems with this. Well, I'm sure he felt that way especially knowing that he has a promotion in memphis that you know they briefly worked with in the early 90s why not work with my promotion you know i mean it seems kind of hypocritical i mean it seems kind of biased that like i mean jerry lawler has this promotion in memphis why not work with me oh and oh you're gonna work with paul instead yeah. So yeah, I can certainly see why he would have a problem with. Well, I think and it was agreed upon, especially since how we got PG thirteen. <laughs> yes, yeah. That he's got to get USWA some of his. USWA was pretty pretty. Boy, it's a big invasion. <laughs> he got everybody mixing it up here. I didn't think PG thirteen ever actually wrestled, so this was a uh, shock to me here, uh, as I. In our very first review was the debut of PG-13 on the Retro Wrestling Podcast, as they were at Final Four, 1997. That's right. And uh, escorting out the Nation of Domination. So these guys had already been called up to the WWF, but I guess got sent back down to USWA and now find themselves in ECW, where they would not be impressing uh, many, many people. They're the USWA tag champs, and they would be taking on... They would be taking on the uh, ECW tag. Wow! So they dueled. I mean, they could have been dual champs here. Could have. We are at the War Memorial Auditorium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, in front of a grand total of eighteen hundred people. Woo! Boy, packed to the rafters. They're swinging from the rafters. Joey Styles starts out in the ring, of course, with the ECW chants. As this is what they would normally do. I, by the way, in all seriousness, this is one of my favorite ECW pay-per-views of all time. Like, no bullshit. You are out of your mind. <laughs> it really is. You've lost all all your marbles are gone. So, this is ECW's second pay-per-view. Barely Legal was their first. Correct. It happened in April, so this is August. And... They didn't learn a whole lot from that first pay-per-view because the lighting here fucking sucks. This looks like they had one light. I was trying to understand the guy on the headset letting people cross the entryway every two <laughs> fucking seconds. Did you notice that? No. He Okay, so where the rafters coming, or where the... The, the entryway? Sta- the stands would come down to meet the floor right there at the entryway. If fans wanted to go to the other side of the War Memorial... Instead of walking around the ring like you normally would at any other wrestling show, this motherfucker would pull the gate from one side, the gate from another side, and let them walk through so they couldn't get to the ring, but they could just take a hard left and, or a hard right and go right up into the entryway. Well, that's like no awfully fucking, convenient. 
Yeah, just go backstage. You didn't see that? That it distracted no. me through the whole damn pay per view. No, I was just distracted by the fucking lighting, man. Like, geez, like, I mean, I know that barely illegal was in the ECW arena, but it was at least well lit. You know, like I could see the crowd or whatever. This, this looks like just a spotlight. This looks like, like there's no crowd. I mean, yeah. it's just black all around. There's hardly any crowd anyway. There's only 1,800 of them. Joey Styles runs down the card. Uh, he mentions, of course, Jerry the King Lawler, which gets major boos. Oh, yeah, boo, fuck that guy. He's from the WWF. Fuck him. But then, Rick Rude's dubbed WWF music as they dub it out here on the network with this fucking porn music again. Hits, and Rick Rude comes out. And so it kills his entrance. I don't know if they booed, they cheered. I don't know what the fuck they did because I've got porn music blaring out of the speakers. What I do hear when the music ends is rude sold out chances. Of course, he joined D-Generation X as an enforcer. A man that carried a briefcase. He was a... He, he decided to be a, a bodyguard for a little boy toy. So, in the words of, of Mr... And Mr. Styles. Styles there. So. Mr. Styles gives him shit about it and says, you know what? Fuck off. And then just hands the mic to Rick Rude, which seems odd. Like, if you really don't like the guy, then just leave with the mic. And have him standing out there looking like an asshole. So Rude goes into his typical promo. This week it's uh, Lauderdale Losers. I enjoyed that. I thought that one was quite hilarious. Button your lips, open your eyes, and look at the next ECW champion, Chris Candido, as Rick Rude introduces his boy, Chris Candido. The irony, though, is that he is no gimmicks needed, Chris Candido, which in itself is a gimmick. No, it's not. Did the irony ever occur to you? No, yes. it's not a gimmick. What? Ha- not having a gimmick is a gimmick. No, it's not. Yes, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's so... Irony is his gimmick. That's what it is. I mean... Yeah, I thought it was an, hilarious. So, the arena, as I mentioned here, is so dark. Out comes little Todd Gordon. Little Todd gets on the microphone, shits on Rude again, tells Rude, you have no manager's license and you need to leave. So, you need to leave by the count of ten. So the crowd counts to ten, as they love to do, and... The, Rude leaves by saying as he's walking down this walkway, Fuck you, Gordon! As he walks to the back. Would he be back? We'll have to wait and see. Candido, meanwhile, while all of this was going on, is just fumbling around the ring. And then the intro to the pay-per-view rolls. What the fuck are you guys doing? You learn nothing from Barely Legal. Do you know how to do a pay-per-view? Roll the open first and then do all this shit. Okay. So... Taz, the human suplex machine, or as Vince calls him, Suplex King, uh, is out to take him on. He is a TV champion. The TV belt is just a repurposed WWF winged eagle belt, which uh, still looks beautiful, but looks very cheap, as they just slapped an ECW logo on a winged eagle belt. And I love the winged, the winged eagle belt. I think it is beautiful, and as the... TV title, it, it still looks beautiful. This is the first three main events, that's right, even though it's the opening bout, somehow. 
We get a boxing style intro, but who the fuck is this? Where is Joel Gertner? This guy sucks. I mean, he's just a regular ring announcer. I mean, he's fine, but where's Joel Gertner? The quintessential stud muffin was nowhere to be found. Nope. You might see him later on this evening, though. I got a feeling. Taz just stands with his hands crossed. Looks badass. Candido gets into his face and pushes him. Taz just stands there with his arms crossed. Slaps Taz. He just stands there with his arms crossed. Finally, he spits at Taz. This is... You've gone too far now. This wakes Taz up. Candido lands a few strikes before Taz nails a pump-handled Tazplex that sends Candido to the floor. Candido's only 25 here, which is crazy, considering he'd been in the Fed like three years earlier than this. So, Candido me out wrestling before that. Yeah. Candido and Taz do some mat wrestling, exchanging hammerlocks and snapmares. Candido gets a rope break. That's right, a rope break in ECW. What? Yes. That's what happened. Candido then powerbombs Taz right on his neck. But then Taz no-sells it and poses. Because he is immortal. Both of these guys had already broken their necks before the age of 30. Wonderful. Northern Lights with a bridge nets a two-count for Taz. Inseguri to Taz from Candido. Candido lands a leg drop on Taz's bad neck. Then we get a vertical suplex to Taz with another two leg drops. Taz back body drops Candido directly onto the floor without those pussy ring mats. They get back into the ring, and Candido hits a Frankensteiner to Taz. This match is all about breaking Taz's neck. That's Candido's That's strategy. the whole point. Candido hits a flying headbutt for a two count. Taz hulks up and locks in the freestyle bow and arrow for a second, which is a lot like an STF, but Candido escapes. Another powerbomb to Taz. This one gets a two count. Candido looks for the blonde bombshell, which is a superpower bomb off the top turnbuckle. Instead, Taz hits a belly-to-belly. Then Taz Germans Candido directly on his head. I I wonder why he calls it the blonde bombshell. Because of Tammy? Could be because of Tammy. But but wouldn't you think it it would involve Tammy? She still worked for the Fed! I know, but it's weird that you call... Your finishing move, your girlfriend. <laughs> That's, I, I wanted to actually shed light on that. Cause like, what I, if Macho Man called his elbow the Elizabeth? Oh, that'd and, be hilarious. I mean, it's just weird. Yeah. I, I, he wa- I mean, Candido was blonde, so... But he's not a bombshell. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, not to me. I mean, <laughs> I, maybe to somebody. Instead, Taz hits a super belly-to-belly... Taz and Germans Candido directly on his head. A Taz T-bone plex, and now Candido sells his neck, power slams Taz. Candido mounts Taz in the corner, does the throat slash pose, but Taz wakes up, applies the Taz mission, and Candido taps out to the human suplex machine. How fucking awesome was this match? Well, I think Candido worked his ass off. I think He worked his ass off. I think Taz and he, he got I'm not a big Taz fan. I'm not either. I swear to God, I'm really not. He got the best match possible out of Taz. And it turned out to be... I'm not saying it was a five-star classic, but it was up there past three. Okay? It was good. Yeah, I... I totally agree that Candido did all the work in this match. Taz... The character of Taz is awesome. But he has 
no motivation in the ring. He is a fucking lazy wrestler. He is one of the laziest wrestlers I've ever seen. And, I mean, we reviewed his his shining moment in the WWF when he, he debuted and beat Angle. He looked out of shape. He didn't do much. He's never put in the effort. Nope. I can't believe he was a trainer on Tough Enough trying to tell these kids how to work or whatever. He doesn't even fucking work. The tough guy gimmick is good for him. He's a great announcer. Or he's a great commentator. He's a he's got a great character, you know, from being the Tasmanian devil of this was a great transition for him. Yeah. But he is fucking lazy. Yeah. He is what what you complain about Brock Lesnar. Suplexes. He hits suplexes. But Taz doesn't even hit as many as Brock does. Well, Taz does it tastefully. Brock does it, and it's like another fucking one. Dear God, come on. You got you kind of get tired of saying it. He does so many. There's no assortment of offense from Taz. Yeah. And he's so lazy. I just can't get over how lazy he is. And this match just reminded me of how lazy Taz is. So, there you go. Taz keeps the TV belts, and Candido goes home and gets to bang Sonny. So, uh, both people win. Uh, Joey Styles thanks us for buying the pay-per-view and plugs the next one, and hey, buy tickets to come to it. Well, I can't do both, Joey. I either go to the show or I buy the pay-per-view. What do you want me to do, man? Well, you could do both. I mean, you just buy the pay-per-view and not be there to watch it, though. Oh, record it. Set your VCR. There you go. Oh, man, we missed the ICP performance earlier tonight. Oh, man, I am so devastated we couldn't see the Insane Clown Posse. RVD interrupted them and destroyed them. Sabu joined in. I loved seeing them get their asses kicked. So, Did you enjoy this? That part I enjoyed. but A lot? <laughs> ICP can fuck off. I just don't like them at all. Why? Because they suck. They think... I'm glad that they are wrestling fans, but they have no business being in a wrestling ring. They don't... They have a wrestling promotion. I know. Juggalo Championship Wrestling. But it's... I'm glad that they're fans of wrestling. But just because you're a fan of wrestling doesn't mean you can be in the ring. And just because... And they're not even a level of celebrity to me. If I'm running a wrestling promotion, I have a level of celebrity that's getting in my ring. And they're not on it. And, you know, I know we just watched a show with Zeus, but Zeus was in a movie that I co-produced, so of course I'll put Zeus in the ring. But... As far as if Billy Joel shows up and wants to be in the ring, yeah, Billy Joel can go in the ring. Insane Clown Posse? No. You can sit ringside. We might show you on camera, but you're not getting anywhere close to the fucking ring. And also, Paul Heyman's insane. Imagine if those guys got hurt. He get his ass is suit off. I'm pretty sure he made them sign waivers before they got it. Yeah, but those waivers... Waivers don't mean shit when, when things really hit the fan and just they have no business i they got so they got so much fucking work they were in all three promotions that's true that's just very fucking true. ridiculous and and own their own promotion as well but you want to talk about getting hurt our next match the fans got hurt cause one fan or one wrestler got hurt and was proceeded to be one fan probably had to go to the hospital and make sure he didn't have Hep C after this because he got <laughs> was more than one. blood all over him. I think it was more than one. It was a couple. Oh my god, this match. Spike Dudley is here. He's taking on Bam Bam Bigelow. Oh, I said, love Spike. And I I remember 
their matches fondly, and they're great matches. I completely forgot about this one. I wrote here, this should be a destruction. I would be right. The crowd loves Bam Bam, even though we're in Florida. Get a headbutt to Spike. He throws Spike across the ring. Spike crashes on his head. Stinger splash to Spike. Spike fucks up a crucifix, and so he hits the acid drop instead, and then a drop kick to the back of Bam Bam's head. Is he going to pull it off? No. That's all the offense Spike would be getting. This is one of the worst David and Goliath tales I've ever seen. So Bam Bam catches Spike midair as he tries a, like a cross off the second rope and delivers a sick powerbomb to Spike, which gets ECW chant. Then he says, you know what, that's not enough. I, I know I almost killed you, but you know what? Bam Bam attempts a press slam over the ropes, and Spike didn't seem to be too thrilled with taking this bump, so he did what Bret Hart used to do to, you know, break his fall, so he's, like, grabbing the ropes on the way down. Well, this he... pissed off the crowd. The crowd was not going to allow this press slam to uh, stand, you know. So, of course, you fucked up. You fucked up. Because, yeah, yeah, I'd rather get thrown directly onto concrete. That's what I'd rather do, guys. Yeah, I'd rather do that. I really fucked up. <laughs> so, to appease these fans who paid probably 20 bucks to get in, uh, Spike is going to basically uh, risk his life here for no fucking reason. As uh, Bam Bam goes and repeats the spot, this time he says, you know what, fuck the concrete i'm gonna throw him in the crowd now he drops him on the ring post though that's well that was the first the first one he no he he was trying to stop himself from going to the concrete but that's how he got busted open i thought he got busted open in the crowd because i don't think i don't think they went out into the crowd beforehand and said you know in the second match tonight a man is going to come flying at you okay (laughs) I don't think Paul Heyman or whoever was... I don't think Todd Gordon rounded up Section 5 and said, you know what, guys? You might have to catch a 75-pound man later tonight. <laughs> I don't think anything was said. Because they so, didn't catch his ass. Well, no, I, yeah, we don't know because of fucking lighting and the cameras. They have, like, what, three cameras total and they have zero lights. So I don't know what the fuck happened. I thought as he was walking, as he was working his way down, he bounced his head off the very top of the turnbuckle, which is what caused him to bleed. Or not the the, the ring post, I mean, which is what caused him to bleed. You said it was when he threw him into the fans. So Yeah. Well, but anyway, he picks him up into another press slam, takes a running start, and launches poor little 175-pound Spike Dudley into Section 5 of the fans. And, uh, <laughs> they did not catch him. I don't know if they caught him. No one knows. No one knows what happens because you'd think for a spot this big, oh, you put one of our two cameras over there to get this. No, no, can't fucking do it. Put a light over there. No, no lights. So, poor Spike Dudley, who I think, I really do think on that first press slam, just wanted to gently fall to the concrete, uh, you know, to appease the fans, both of these guys were like, oh, we can't just let it in like that. <laughs> and, you know, Bam Bam had done this spot before, uh, but you, I think the crowd was in on it before. This time, I don't think they were in on it, and that's why I think Spike just crash-landed into chairs or whatever. And, look, if a dude is coming flying at me and I have no knowledge of it, uh, 
You bet your ass I'm moving out of the fucking way. No way I'm catching you. Fuck you. Like They caught him the first time, and they body surfed him around. I think they were in on it. Really? Yes. There is no way they were not in on it. You don't... Catching somebody isn't so easy. That cheerleading shit, when they toss people up in the air, it's not very easy to catch them. It's it's a learned art to catch somebody, as The Undertaker found out at WrestleMania 25. It's <laughs> catching somebody is or, a tough... Or didn't, didn't yeah. find out. <laughs> yeah, Manu or Sim Snooker or whatever did not do a very good job of catching. Catching is uh, very important uh, to learn. It's not something you can just, hey, catch a guy. Yeah. It's... And, so I don't think they were expecting this. And Bam Bam had done it before. But, so yeah, I think what happened is I saw, if I was in Section 5, and I see this man about to f- be flung towards me, I will be getting up, I will be moving to the side, and he's going to crash land through chairs or whatever, <laughs> my beer or whatever, sitting there. And he did, <laughs> I think. And he is pouring blood. He is pissing blood. Like, it was, <laughs> it was scary. It was scary. It was bad scary. Because I didn't realize how bad it was until he gets up and the three guys helping him back to... Helping him. The three fans, because Spike can't stand on his own due to the the loss of blood. <laughs> he They are covered. I mean, there one guy was in a white shirt... It literally turned red. The whole fucking thing. He is pouring blood. Oh my god. So, while Spike is slowly stumbling back to the ring, Bam Bam does a cartwheel and poses, as he used to do in the WWF. ECW chants, of course, for that uh, spot where someone almost died. Bam Bam drags Spike back into the ring. He is bleeding all over the place. Oh my god. I'm not done with you yet. Nasty backbreaker into a spike pile driver, and then a moonsault. And then we win the match, because ECW had a knack for really knowing when to go home uh, in a match. And, uh, you know, they weren't just going to let uh, that big spot be the end. They had to uh, to go on a little too, too long. It's like when a comedian is really killing on stage, and... You know, you hit that really great joke, you should just end the act right there, but then you tell a few more and then you die. That's what this was. It's like, <laughs> you already hit your biggest hit. You hit your greatest hits. Now the crowd wants to... That was the encore. Now it's time to go home. Yeah. So, this, uh, yeah. And as soon as the... And you knew how serious it was because there was an EMT. As soon as the third... I mean, the the bell rang for the three count... She was in the ring and on him in a second. Yeah. And was literally already throwing, you know, gauze and stuff on him, trying to slow down the blood. He, I've seen a lot of blood in wrestling. This was one of the worst bust, uh, gushes I've seen in a very long time. So congrats, Bam Bam. They take Spike to the hospital and they literally bring out a mop to mop up blood. Yes. And did you see that mop white, how it stained red from all the blood? What? It's just so gross, man. It's like, gross. They brought, yes, they brought a mop, and it was, there was so much blood, it stained the white mop red within seconds of just touching it, as it soaked it up. 
More insane clown posse shit that I don't care about. Sandman apparently is a juggalo and tried to save them, but he got his ass beat anyway. And so, I hate this ICP shit. I refuse to recap it, so you can go watch it yourself. Spike is shown going to the hospital. Mr. Monday Night RVD is out with Fonzie and that fucking whistle. That whistle can go right up his ass. Uh, I get that it's being used for heat, and, you know... It worked well. Oh, it worked well. But it's go-away heat. It's not the kind of heat that you want. Because, it's, you know, when he should be he should be blowing it when, you know, there's about to, when his guy's about to be pinned. When there's something he needs to interrupt. You yeah. know, it shouldn't just be constant. It is constant. He never stops. I almost think it's a fake whistle, and it's just, it's, it's got a button on it, and it just never stops. Fonzie and that fucking whistle. He has, like, some serious lung power to be able to blow that thing for the 15 or 20 minutes it takes. Yeah, so he's taking on Leaf Cassidy as he's wrestling under his uh, slave name here. Slave. Uh, from the WWF, Al Snow. Style shits on the gimmick. I take issue with Joey Style shitting on Al Snow's Leaf Cassidy gimmick because here's the deal. Um, pay your fucking performers and they won't have to leave and go get shitty gimmicks. Yeah. So the joke's on you, motherfucker. Because, like, yeah, he's walking around looking like a fake Marty Jannetty, but he's making a lot more money than you are, Joey Styles. <laughs> and so I think the... I, I hate this idea of, oh, if you leave, oh, go make money. It's the same thing WWF does, like, when they talk about, oh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall, they left of uh, fucking traitors. Pay them. Pay them what they fucking want, and they won't leave. Guess what? If you offer me more money, Patrick, I'm going to leave my job and go work for you. It's as simple as that. And so you can say, and I'll come back wearing clown makeup, I'll do whatever. It's my new job, I get paid a lot more, fuck you. Like, I just, Joey Styles was trying to get over, oh, he's, he was cool as Al Snow in ECW, now he's, look at him, he's a pussy, and fucking Leaf Cassidy. Like, yeah, he's a pussy, but he's making 70 grand a year, or whatever he's making. And you're making 20 grand, so... Who's the pussy? Snow is distracted by Fonzie's whistle, so it does work. It distracts more than just me, apparently. I want to watch this one on mute, actually, with the whistle, because it never stops. We get a leaping back kick to Snow from RVD. Snow hits the Snowplex, or a wheelbarrow suplex to RVD. Snow dropkicks RVD out of the ring and hits a Pescado to him, slams RVD on the concrete. Snow wants the guardrails to separate to do something, but he can't figure out how to work these guardrails. So, he just leaves the entire arena. And I'm like, okay, where did he go? Well, we would have known where he went had we had a camera and lights. And so he went up the ramp, and he runs all the way back down to hit a clothesline. It was a nice-looking clothesline, but a lot of effort here to simply hit a clothesline to Mr. Van Dam. They get back into the ring, and they fuck up a leapfrog spot. For shame. RVD misses a baseball slide and gets clotheslined on the floor. The whistle is just killing me by this point. RVD hits a moonsault to snow off the guardrail to get ECW chance. RVD hits a somersaulting senton to snow out on the floor. Snow hits a superplex, but both men take the brunt of the impact, so they're down. RVD gets up, hits a leaping sidekick to the face of snow off the top turnbuckle, followed by a standing moonsault, only a two. Five-star frog splash, not yet called that. Only gets a two count for Rob Van Dam. 
Odd. Leaf Cassidy hits a standing moonsault, only gets a two count, followed by a Northern Lights bomb that looked more like a brain buster. It was really nasty. A few boring chants are heard. Wow, that is... For an RVD match, that's... Yeah. That's something. RVD is drop-kicked out of the ring and bounces off the table. Snow hits... It's not a work table, either. <laughs> it's just a table. RVD is drop-kicked out of the ring. He bounces off a real table. Snow hits a somersaulting plancha, but it it's not a gimmick table, so it doesn't break. So, it didn't really look all that great. He lays three head chair shots to RVD, but they were all pretty light. I guess Al Snow was concerned about concussing this, this friend of his. Then one to the back and another to the face. Snow runs up the ramp again. Where is it? Where is he going this time? But this time when he runs down, he eats a chair from Rob Van Dam. Van Dam enters Snow on the guardrail with Fonzie's help. RVD covers Snow. But after a Van Daminator, Al Snow kicks out at two. Despite RVD basically pinning himself because his shoulders were down on the mat more than Snow's were. Yep. We get a spike DDT to RVD, a Van Daminator again, and this time he gets the three. So there you go. A match that happened. A, one of, a terrible RVD match. Terrible Al Snow match. The whistle can go to hell. Uh, the match can go to hell. It had no implications. No, this part of the invasion, so there's no not going to be any follow-up to this until years later, you know, when they're in the, in the same company together again. So, fuck this. <laughs> I don't have any time for this. This was stupid. RVD didn't even cut a promo, and that's what I like the most, I think, about RVD is his ECW promos. <laughs> he has a great... Well, I love his in-ring style, too. I mean, it wasn't... He's worked the same style for 20 years, but it was, it's, a, it's a great style, but I really do like his promos and didn't get that. Instead, I got a whistle. Whistle while you work. A lot of whistle. And it was a lot of work. What did you think of this match, Patrick? It was a good match. I enjoyed oh, it. God. What was good about it? I enjoyed the, the different, neat, unique styles that Al Snow and RVD were going for. I'm not saying it was the top match of the card. There was a lot of better matches on this card before this one. But it was a decent match. It was what it was. You could put the two together and do, again and put on a show if you had to. It's never going to main event. Lance Wright is in a helicopter. Now this company that had no money for lighting or cameras <laughs> somehow had a helicopter just handy. Uh, a rental. Maybe this was the one that King flew in on or something, and they just borrowed it. I don't know. Anyway, we're looking at the Sandman's ambulance as we have yet another ambulance thief on our hands. Stone Cold will do this years later in the WWE uh, as we have a man who has uh, commandeered an ambulance. Yes. So if you're in the area of Fort Lauderdale and you needed, you had a heart attack right then, you were just fucked. Yeah. So what a waste of money. This was. <laughs> this had no point. Who cares? And, uh, yeah, like I said, Stone Cold did this at Royal Rumble 99. The exact same spot. Lawler cuts a promo. He talked to the boys in the WWF. Undertaker told King to win. Even though they don't see eye to eye, Bret Hart told the King to win. Stone Cold Steve Austin even told him to win as well. The Dudleys are in the ring with Jenna Jameson and Joel Studmuffin Gertner. It takes him ages to introduce Sign Guy, Big Dick, Devon, and Bubba Dudley. And no sexy promo from the stud muffin here. No. With a porn star 
directly next to I him. I didn't know who he, who he was with. Yeah, Jenna Jameson, porn star. Sure you did. No. PG-13, from the Nation of Domination, More Invasion, or USWA, whichever one you want prefer. Another invader is here to take on the Dudleys. They have an awful dub theme as well, apparently. We can't pay for the rights to that. They look like complete idiots. You talk about, like, too cool or supposed to be pretty fly for a white guys. These guys actually believed they were cool looking. <laughs> hey, baby. They suck. <laughs> Mama Dudley must be a hoe, is what they say in their rap. He tells Bubba if he had to haul ass, he'd have to make two trips. <laughs> Fuck, this guy sucks. PG that is awesome, man. You cannot laugh at that. One of them tells Jenna Jameson he's at the Days Inn. Jamie Ice was the guy cutting the promo here. That was Superstar Bill Dundee's son. Just so you were aware of this. God. Wolfie D is the other guy in PG-13. Right. They botched double-team atomic drop clothesline on Devon. So we're off to a good start. They do a crisscross and Jamie Ice kisses Jenna Jameson. Ew. Kissing a porn star. What's wrong with that? Do I need to explain where her mouth has been recently? <laughs> Bubba and Wolfie D take over. Wolfie D hits a hurricane run on Bubba and a clothesline. Bubba and Devon work Wolfie D's arm. Devon accidentally pulls on Bubba's arm by mistake, so there's some dysfunction amongst the Dudleys. Big Dick double choke slams PG-13. Jameson trips Jamie Ice. The crowd only cares about Jenna Jameson and seeing her naked. Guillotine leg drop from Devon to Jamie Ice. Tilt a whirl power slam into an elbow to Jamie Ice. He DDTs Devon. Wolfie gets a hot tag. Runs wild. Bangs the Dudley's heads together, who no sell it. Apparently they're Samoan. But they eat a double drop kick. Sit out power bomb to Devon for a two before Bubba breaks it up. Wolfie D bulldogs Bubba off the top turnbuckle. Jamie Ice drop kicks to Devon out of the ring. Devon catches a Jamie Ice suicide dive. And then Wolfie D dives on both of them for the only good spot of the entire match. They come back into the ring, 3D to Wolfie D, and the Dudleys retain their precious ECW Tag Team titles. Okay, now I actually liked this match a lot. Dude, fuck this match. Why? This match sucks. Why? This PG-13 sucks. I thought it was entertaining. God. It was terrible. <laughs> the Dudleys weren't functioning properly. I would Joel Gertner was a waste. I would book this entire match and everything around it at any show any point in time in my career. If I was running a show in a high school gymnasium, I wouldn't put this on. I this would. is garbage. This is garbage. I would have been furious had I at the time paid for this and gotten this on the card. What a fucking piece of pile of shit this was. Go back and watch it. It's match of the night. Oh, go back and watch it. No, never. That's one thing I can assure you of. Lance Wright is still in a helicopter following Sandman's stolen ambulance. Is he a, Is he any relation to Alex? <laughs> that would be great. If Alex Veit, Das Wunderkid, had stolen the copter. So Lance is following... Sambulance, and apparently Sandman stopped for cigarettes, and he's lost. He doesn't know where the arena is. Okay, whatever. He is so mad that he had to stop and get cigarettes on his way back. The king <laughs> is in the ring. Lawler is back and cutting a promo on the crowd. Plugs Ground Zero in September. So uh, Then he plugs the exact same yes, promo. Yes, exact same promo from earlier about 
all the WWF guys, giving him props. Go out there, win one for the Gipper. So, Tommy Dreamer. I was kind of disappointed in King. I'm not. I can't. Which is hard for me to say. That he well, didn't, he didn't want to be there, so of course he's gonna phone it in. I mean, he got his boys PG thirteen on the card, <laughs> so he got something out of it. He had better things to do. <laughs> he didn't want to be there. No, I don't think he likes Paul Heyman. Um, well, he broke Paul Heyman's jaw. Well, that was work, but I don't think they like each other. Promoters typically don't like each other anyway. So. Who is our foe? Who will defend the honor of ECW? Of course, Tommy Dreamer. Why? Because he wears an ECW t-shirt. He's out with Beulah McGillicuddy, his uh, wife. They go right to brawling. Lawler. Dreamer gets a trash can lid that sends Lawler flying over the ropes. Wow. Jeez. Seconds into this match, Lawler blades from a trash can lid shot. And then gets a cup full of beer in his face from Tommy Dreamer. Dreamer crotches Lawler on the guardrail and gets hit with a hamburger. Get it? The Burger King? Yeah, still oh, making that oh, joke. Oh. Then a pan. Someone in the crowd, this is when you could still bring weapons to the to the show. Someone handed him a pan, so he got hit with it. They brawl through the crowd. More beer to the face. This would have sucked to have watched live because there's no monitors. Uh, there's no lights. There's... No way to fucking see what's going on. We see that Lawler gets some popcorn to his face. Dreamer whips Lawler with a belt. Like a belt, like a pant belt, not like a title belt. And then chokes him. This is pretty brutal. He's going to lynch Jerry Lawler uh, right here in the middle of the ring. Do what you gotta do, I guess. Brings a chair into the ring. Top turnbuckle chair shot. Oh, gets crotched by Lawler before he can do it. So Lawler launches him into the chair instead chair shot to the back from Lawler throws Dreamer into the chair they brawl on the outside again and Dreamer takes a few more chair shots to the back from Lawler Lawler gets the belt that he was choked with earlier and decks Tommy with it and then chokes him whips Tommy with the belt King picks up the burger smashes it in Tommy's face I'll show you who's the Burger King Lawler ties Dreamer by the neck to the bottom rope stomps him and goes for the pile driver hits it but Dreamer kicks out it too ECW chants are encouraged by Lawler, which makes them chant more. Styles calls out Lawler for doing hardcore matches in Memphis and criticizing ECW. What a hypocrite. Lawler rips Tommy Dreamer's shirt off of him and then wipes his ass with it. Tommy then no-sells Lawler's punches and stuffs the t-shirt, his freshly ass-wiped t-shirt, into the mouth of uh, Lawler. So, wonderful. Lawler low-blows him. And then knees Dreamer repeatedly in the balls. Tries to crotch Dreamer on the buckle, but Dreamer reverses it and does it to Lawler instead. Then the lights go out. And they I do. legitimately thought they can't they've been cut off. They're they did not pay the their bill. They weren't supposed to be here. I just thought the show is over. This they, is it. They come back on. They they come back on. It takes an unusual it's not a WWF light turn where it's quick. It's like it felt like hours the lights were out. And then Rick Rude reappears and Dex Dream with a garbage can. He has turned his back on his ECW brethren. He has. But Dreamer kicks out. Dreamer tries a pile driver and the lights go out again. Forever. Again. This time, Jake the Snake is here. 
and Dex Dreamer. He DDTs Dreamer. Short arm clotheslines Lawler, so whose side is he on? No one's, apparently. Dreamer kicks out of Lawler's pin attempt, a DDT attempt from Dreamer, and the lights go out again. This time, the crowd boos as they are fucking sick of this spot. Sonny then shows up, sprays Tommy in the eyes with hairspray, and then we get a catfight with Beulah and Sonny, who is fighting on behalf of WWF, which seems weird, considering who she's dating, but okay. <laughs> Lawler teases a pile driver on Beulah. Dreamer, though, does a Joey Ryan tribute and grabs Lawler by the dick. DDT, and Dreamer wins, and the crowd goes mild as they just didn't give a fuck. I love this match. match. I love this match. This is my match of the night. Why? There is nothing in this match. I love the, it was excitement and out brawling, but then it had the excitement of the lights going out and who's coming out next. I, I actually, truly, honest to God, love this match. This match is the reason I picked this pay-per-view. This match sucks, man. Really? Yes, it's a garbage brawl. It's not even a good garbage brawl. The light trick. How many times can you do that in a match? And It it took forever. It looked like shit with their production values. Lawler didn't want to be there. You're stuffing burgers in people's faces. It wasn't even funny. You know, even the funny... The stuff that was supposed to be funny wasn't funny to me. It just wrong this is wrong I don't know who else they could have sent to do this uh, maybe uh, Mick Foley would have been a great candidate maybe um, but I just because he was like doing do if he came in as dude love oh they would have really the ECW crowd would have hated pissed. that yeah, yeah. Uh, but this just did not work for me and uh, the run-ins it's like it's like a conveyor belt of run-ins that don't really mean anything, and it just doesn't... Uh. That was the stars trying to help King win. Yeah, but one, two stars do. One star hits them both. So, well, that's because Jake was feuding at the same time with King. This is when he's No, feuding. he was already out of the company by now, I think. He apparently went to a cameraman after he did his run-in and said, Your God, he giveth, and he can taketh away. My God, he giveth, but he ain't got the balls to do nothing else. Yeah, he said it on live on camera. You didn't see that? I didn't write that down. Okay. Then he teamed up with Tommy Dreamer at November to remember as his mystery partner against Just Incredible Jack Victory. So there you go. At November to remember of 97? Yeah, or 98. 98. Okay. So he went, damn, he went a year not doing shit. He went longer than that afterwards, man. Well, yeah, I know, but, I mean, just, it's weird to do a run-in and then just disappear. Yeah. Unless you are, like, retired, which I, you know, he didn't consider himself retired. It just seems weird. I don't know. Um... But yeah, this match just didn't didn't do it for me. Joey Styles celebrates the big win for ECW. The war is over, everybody. ECW won the wrestling war. Uh, WCW's out of business. WWF's out of business. ECW is the best. Now it's time for the ECW title match. We get reminded of the night the line was crossed three years ago in a triple dance. When, of course... 
Shane Douglas threw a belt on the ground, and, and the world changed forever. Now we check back in with Lance, who's still in a helicopter. Uh-oh, the ambulance has arrived. It's here. He starts swinging his cane at the security goons who don't want him in the arena, even though he's an employee for some reason. Time for the title match. Franchise and Francine are out first. Terry Funk is out next, and Sabu joins the party. From the last pay-per-view to this one, Terry Funk had lost the ECW belt to Sabu, so Sabu is the champion. These entrances, I swear, I swear, took 20 minutes with the introductions. Fonzie, oh, he's back too with that damn whistle, because he's with Sabu. And then when the match starts, Patrick, guess what they do? Nothing. Terry Funk is smart, though, and says, fuck this, I'll just stand outside, which is what I would do. So he gets out of the ring and just says, you guys go at it. Let, let them beat the hell out of each other. And they do for a little while until they all start brawling, all three of them, on the outside. Funk takes a few trash can shots. Douglas slams Sabu on Funk for a two count. Sabu hits a slingshot leg drop on Funk for two. By the way, these triple dances elimination, so... Funk falls into a, the timekeeper's table, which is directly ringside for some reason. Ouch. Why is that there? Do they, have they ever seen a wrestling show? You don't put that right there. Sabu hits a springboard cross to Funk as Douglas and Sabu are focused on Funk only for some reason, as they've decided, fuck this guy. Sabu does his whisper in the wind off the chair to Funk twice. Sabu covers Funk, but then for no reason, remember, it's an elimination match, Douglas cracks Sabu with the chair. Logic, everybody. ECW logic. Never, uh, never their strong suit. Sabu hits a released German to Douglas, boots him to the outside. Sabu hits Funk with a chair, uses the chair to dive into the crowd onto Douglas, but completely misses him and crashes into the concrete like an idiot. Sabu then moonsaults to Funk out on the floor from the apron. Douglas hits a delayed vertical on Sabu in the ring for a two count. Funk sets up two chairs, sets them up in the ring. Funk and Douglas do a stereo neckbreaker to Sabu through the chairs for a two count, of course. Head chair shots for Funk and Douglas, to which Funk says, You motherfucker! You motherfucker! I can't do it, Terry Funk. Neckbreaker to Douglas from Funk for two. Funk then pile drives Sabu for two, of course. Douglas goes, gets the guardrail, brings it into the ring. Sabu mounts it in the corner. Douglas bumps off of it, then gets back body dropped onto it. Sabu throws the guardrail on Funk and Douglas. Funk says, "Oh shit. Oh shit. <laughs> Sabu covers both guys with the guardrail, but only gets two because this is ECW where logic doesn't matter. Douglas belly to bellies Funk and Sabu. Sleeper to Sabu. Funk puts Douglas in one, and then Douglas breaks his. Then Sabu locks one in on Funk. So it's a sleeper to you, to me, to him, to everybody. Everybody's getting a sleeper, including me and including the crowd. They all let it go. Sabu hits his triple jump moonsault to Douglas for a two count. Misses one to Funk. Triple jump moonsault to both. Covers both. And both kick out. Again, ECW logic. Fonzie throws a table in the ring. Todd Gordon is apparently interested in this match for some reason. Dex Fonzie for interfering in ECW where anything goes. I guess Todd Gordon wants the rules to be enforced. I don't know what the fuck is going on here. 
Sabu setting up a chair in the top... Todd Gordon didn't care that, you know, Spike Dudley was thrown to the fifth section, but he cares that Fonzie... Oh, no, don't bring that table in here. Oh, keep that away. <laughs> so Todd Gordon decks Fonzie. Sabu setting up a chair in the top turnbuckle. Leg drops Gordon and Fonzie through the table off the chair. So the two non-wrestlers take the biggest bump of the match... <laughs> Funk then chops everybody down. Sabu grabs a ladder. Fonzie and Gordon are scraped out of the ring by security goons. Uh, the ref, Finnegan, takes a ref bump. Sandman interferes. Splashes Sabu under the ladder. Douglas covers Sabu with a ladder. And he still kicks out. Because logic doesn't exist here in this world. Funk and Douglas then both pin Sabu. This time it counts. It shouldn't have counted, but it did. I don't know. I don't know anything anymore. <laughs> and again, here we are, a triple dance, where the... Do they always have to book the champion losing first? Is that just what they have to do? Yeah. Do they, they know no other... They know no other option. No. By the way, they took out the, the hardest working guy in the match. I mentioned, yeah, he's reckless, he's wild, he's crazy, but he's too an... A ton of fucking work. He's doing all the work, taking all the brunt of the abuse. Speaking of which, by the way, this is literally a week removed from that horrific legendary barbed wire match between him and Terry Funk. And he still is ripped his bicep completely wide open. That's why it's all taped up. So Sandman has been arrested. He's going to jail, of course. Yeah, he stole an ambulance. Uh, so good detective work there. Sabu then assaults police officers, so I guess he's going to jail too. And he springboards onto them and Sandman, so everyone is going to jail. Funk threatens beating down Francine, which would have been a huge heel turn for old Terry here to beat down a woman. But Douglas stops him. CCW, they probably would have liked it. It's true. <laughs> he responds with garbage shots and then garbage shots his own head. Like, of course. <laughs> Naturally. Naturally, when I hit you with a garbage can, I want to hit myself. The locker room has now come out to watch this match. As, oh my goodness. Yeah, Shane Douglas, the, the, the night could get extreme again, maybe. I don't know why the locker room is here. Funk and Douglas trade blows. Belly to belly from Douglas, but Funk kicks out. Franchise sets up a table outside. Francine smacks Terry Funk. Then Dory Funk, another run-in. Another run-in, of course. Dory comes in, beats on Shane. Inside cradle to Shane Douglas for a near fall. Douglas wants the belly-to-belly from the apron to the table. Instead, Terry and Shane sort of just fall through it. Belly-to-belly yep. belly again, but Funk refuses to be pinned. Again. Guess what? He kicks out. Tries again, small package from Funk for a two count, belly to belly again, and this time it works! Congrats, Shane Douglas wins, and the fans are totally silent. As the fan. They either wanted Sabu to retain, or they wanted Terry Funk to win. They did not want fucking Shane Douglas to have this fucking belt back. And so, this 1,800 people were just silent. They had nothing to say. They were crowd. The crowd was going wild. Yeah, the crowd went mild. Douglas and whips Funk with the belt afterwards. Bullshit chance as Joel Gertner comes to the ring. The Dudleys come back into the ring and beat down poor Terry Funk. The fans chant for New Jack. 
Gertner wants Douglas to ditch the triple threat. The triple threat come down. The locker room comes in. We all brawl, as this is ECW. This is how we end every show. Why do anything different? The uh, Dudley's clean house till the Rottens come in. Then New Jack and Cronus come in and do their thing. Then Balls Mahoney, Axel Rotten wake up, finish the Dudleys. Saturn gets in there on a bad leg. Hurt your leg even more. Hidden elbow drop to Bubba. Cronus frog splashes Devon. Gertner takes a shot. 450 to Gertner from Cronus. And then the good guys, the faces, just sort of wander through the crowd. And we leave. And that is how we end Hardcore Heaven, which stunk from hell. This, uh, this title match was just booked so wrong. So, so, so wrong. So stupid. Nothing made sense in this title match. If you wanted... Okay, you want Douglas to win, that's fine. But then have Terry get eliminated first. He could get a standing ovation. He could get the hero's exit. He wasn't doing much in the match anyway. Let the guy... He's old. Let him go Let him go home early for the night. He'd get the hero's exit. Then you can have Douglas and Sabu beat the fuck out of each other. <laughs> But instead, you sent your franchise player, not Shane Douglas, the real franchise, Sabu, instead you sent him home early. And then you left Terry Funk in there, who is old, and Shane Douglas, who is not a good worker, and guess what? You did not get a very good match. Even, and Terry Funk ended up losing, even with the help of his brother, even with interference, he could not win this match. This is one of the worst booked. I hope Paul Heyman did not make an appearance on this show. I hope he was not here. I hope this was Todd Gordon's. I hope Todd Gordon booked this whole fucking thing. It's his fault. This was just dreadful. Very, very dreadful. Aside from the Chris Candido match, I really don't have much else to enjoy on this show. It's an interesting... uh, snippet in time to see WWF guys mingling with ECW guys in 97. Outside of that, it's bizarre. It's the ECW booking, the psychology, uh, you know, spot fest matches are great, but you build, 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 big spot in the match. They never do that. They never fucking learned. They never learned through their entire history. And so the Bam Bam match, yeah, that was a really great thing. But that wasn't the end of the match. So you don't even get that to remember. That would have been... And also, yeah, the lighting. And that that part's out of your control, I guess. But you paid for a fucking helicopter. You couldn't pay for a light. Pretty sure they borrowed that from like a news channel or something. I don't know how they did it. I mean, the guy could have just been up on a tall building looking at down at the street you know i don't know but and you paid you paid all these guys to make cameos you paid it you paid but you can't pay for lights to see a guy go flying through the the fifth section (laughs) whatever yeah this was something uh what'd you think of the main event I enjoyed it. I really did. I love this pay-per-view. I swear to God, this is one of my favorite ECW pay-per-views of all time. Really. Boy, that's pretty sad. <laughs> so to see, to, like, I'm no, no, no gimmicks needed. 
Uh, no bullshit. I literally love this pay per view. Like this is one of the highest rated ECW pay per views of all time. <sighs> no, uh, no, it's not. It's highly rated in your head, which needs to be examined. <laughs> You've taken too many ECW chair shots to the head. <laughs> Probably because I love this pay per view. God, this is awful. <laughs> I wouldn't. This shouldn't even be on the network. That's how bad it is. I th- for free. I wouldn't even watch this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> a good Chris Candido match. So on our rating scale. So you can you can spend eleven minutes and be done with this. So, so on our, I spent almost three hours. On our rating scale. On our rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez of where this show ranks. Well, I'm gonna give this one a Wolfie D. Wolfie D. Yes. You're gonna give it a Wolfie D. I'm gonna give it a Big Dick Dudley. Actually, well, Wolfie D. Wolfie D. is booked at Wolfie D.'s build at six one, so <laughs> I've got to find someone shorter. So I'm gonna give this one a Francine. You're gonna give it a Francine. I'm giving it a Big Dick Dudley because that's the tallest guy on the card, and I wish I could go taller. I really do love this pay-per-view. Whatever. Well, Patrick, we'll return to the pick system this week. It's your pick. Where will we be going? We're going to go to TNA. What? TNA. We've never done a TNA show. We have not. We're going to the land of total nonstop action. We're going to witness November 19th, 2006, Genesis... Where a dream match took place. A dream match? A dream match. Where... Oh, you must mean the Voodoo Ken Mafia taking on uh, serotonin, right? Is that no, what you mean? No, 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 no. I mean Sting taking on the Monster Abyss. I think you mean AJ Styles taking on Captain Charisma Christian Cage. I think that's what you mean. Or I could mean Kurt Angle... Taking on Samoa Joe. Wow. Well, this actually does sound like a good card. I can already tell you, just based on the card alone, this will rank higher than Hardcore Heaven 97. So that's where we'll go. We'll review a TNA show, which... Our very first one. Which I had to buy on DVD because uh, the TNA World Global Wrestling Network can go suck a dick. (laughs) So there you go. I'll do it for this week. I'm Intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline is a clothesline. Bingo, bingo. Great debate <laughs> in the ring, representing himself, Jerry the King Lawler. And please welcome. Representing Extreme Championship Wrestling, Paul E. Dangerously. Paul E. Dangerously, and earlier on, ladies and gentlemen, we saw some of the ECW action out here. As a matter of fact, uh, Sabu coming all the way over the top rope, and I don't know whether he was after Taz or after the King or after both of them. I don't know, but he missed and went right through a table nonetheless. Paul Lee representing ECW, and we saw... All right, gentlemen, the premise here that Mr. Lawler, the question Mr. Lawler is posing is, 
should ECW, Extreme Championship Wrestling, even exist? We will, uh, we had our obligatory coin toss in the locker room area, of course, and Mr. Lawler did win the toss, Good. Mr. Dangerously, as you're aware. So Mr. Lawler will start our debate with a 90-second opening. First of all, let me say this. The question is not whether ECW should exist. My question is whether ECW does exist. Because you see something, Pauline, you are being seen right now by more people at this very minute. Oh yeah, hey, wait, what's this? Yeah. Go ahead, Keep King. Out there if you don't mind. You're being seen by more people right now at this very minute than you have ever been seen by in your entire life. Because your little rinky-dink ECW promotion is a bunch of misfits, a bunch of thugs, and a bunch of has-beens that couldn't catch on with any legitimate wrestling organization. Yeah, listen up, guys. I'm talking about all of you. You understand that? Easy. So what you idiots did, you all migrated to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and you all got your little pea brains together, and you said, hey, maybe we can't wrestle, so maybe if we can get beat ourselves into oblivion with frying pans over our head, or maybe let each beat each other up with barbed wire covered baseball bats. Oh my goodness. Maybe there's enough morons and brain damaged idiots in the city of Philadelphia to come and see us. And you know what, Paulie? You go down to a bingo hall once a month in Philadelphia and you put on your little charades and you beat each other into oblivion. There's blood running everywhere. And you draw about, well, about 1,100 people come to see you do this stuff. 1,100 idiots. But your, you know what? Your, no, your time is up. My time's not up. I'm going to let him talk. He told the truth. When the World Wrestling Federation goes to Philadelphia, they put 22,000 people into the core state spectrum. That's the core state spectrum, Now, my center, question for way. you, McMahon, and is if you're trying to... Shut up! Us, Shut up! Mr. Lawler, now it is his the turn. Fact that the WWF put 22,000 people in the seat. It's not a testament to anything that you've ever accomplished in your whole stinking life. The fact, the fact that we earned the respect of every single one of those 1,100 people by bleeding, by sweating, by fighting by taking each other down and showing these people that we will bust our ass, bust our ass, to give them their money's worth. That's what ECW is all about. That's why uh -oh. on Sunday night, April 13th, we're going to give them a pay-per-view. And you're right, Jerry Lawler. You're right. We are very small. Give me the high side, I'll cane his ass right now! No, 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 no! no. Uh -oh. Take him back. Maintain some decorum, please, if we can. You ought to get down on your hands and knees and thank your lucky stars that you're getting to plug a stinking pay-per-view on Monday Night Raw. Do you understand that? And why Vince McMahon allows it, I'll never know. Look, and you're proud of drawing 1,100 people in Philadelphia? Because we are! There's 4 million people! There's 1,100 morons that have come to watch paint dry! <laughs>
You want to shoot? Yeah, I'm shooting with you. That's right. Yeah. Hey, how you doing at the Seesaws in Louisville, Jerry? Huh? Your own sons don't call themselves Waller. Why? Why? Because they're ashamed of your ass. We earned everything we got. We give these people their money's worth. You never earned anything in your life. You're a 35-year-old man who still still lives with his mother and father. If it wasn't for your mom and dad who financed this bunch of crap, you wouldn't be anything. You understand that? Huh? You want to shoot with somebody? Why do you hang around with these guys? You're not an athlete. I hang around with them because they give the people their money's worth. Because they want to go on pay-per-view and be extreme. We are the Howard Stern of wrestling. Shut that microphone down. His brother Shut him up. We're hardcore and damn proud of it. You know why you hang around with them, Paulie? Because you are a little light in the loafer. Why don't you go ahead and admit it right now? You want to start a war? Go get every single one of you guys, and I'll show you how to start an effing war right here and right now. Come on. Hey. Oh, yeah. You brought your whole crew down here. Don't worry. I got some idiots. for some of his friends to join him. Tell you what, Lawler, take your pick. First two punches are for free. Shut up. I got guys back there. I know they're back. Come on out here. I got friends. Come on. The King inviting his friends to join him and take on. Get your ass out of here now. Well, we're going to get your ass out for you. Hey, let me tell you something. Now you won't tell me anything. You're not going to do anything, you little punk. These guys might do something. You yourself couldn't do anything. You understand that, Tony? Oh, yeah. You can turn somebody well, I guess on me. Maybe the what kid, can you do? What can you do? The kid doesn't have any friends. What can you do? The guys in the back couldn't hear it. 